Hey, cashiers. We Have the Receipts podcast is coming at you live from Netflix is a Joke Fest in Los Angeles. Chris, are you kidding? No, Netflix is a joke, Courtney, but this is not one of them. Our listeners in LA have the chance to join us for a live recording of our podcast, We Have the Receipts, hosted by me, Chris Burns. And me, Courtney Revolution. Join us and a few surprise guests from your favorite Netflix reality shows on Saturday, May 4th at 1 p.m. at a secret location in Hollywood. To be announced. Get your tickets for the We Have the Receipts live show at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. That's todoom, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash We Have the Receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up. It's a new companion podcast from Netflix. My name's Sean Ramosburn, and every Monday to Friday, you can find me hosting another podcast. It's called Today Explained. It's a daily news explainer from Vox, but right now, I'm explaining this show. Each week on You Can't Make This Up, we feature interviews discussing a different Netflix series or film with special guests. And like the best stories out there, all the stories you'll hear on this show are true. So why am I here today? Fair question. Great news. In addition to explaining the news every day on Today Explained, Vox just launched a show on Netflix. It's called Explained. This is the show's undeniably great theme music. Explained is a new pop doc series, 15-minute documentaries about pop culture, tech, science, and beyond. There are new episodes every Wednesday covering big ideas from monogamy and designer DNA to cryptocurrency. And back on this show, You Can't Make This Up, we're bringing in comedians, podcasters, and journalists to watch different episodes of Explained and take us down the rabbit hole with them. So for our first crossover episode, we're featuring a hilarious comedy duo, co-hosts of the pop culture podcast Plus Culturistas, Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers. Bowen and Matt watched K-pop Explained. It's an episode all about the South Korean music phenomenon, K-pop. But K-pop reaches way beyond South Korea. It's an international sensation. It's an entire culture. It's a lifestyle. Anyway, enough of me talking about K-pop. Let's hear Matt and Bowen talk about K-pop. Matt Rogers, Bowen Yang... Go! My name is Matt Rogers. My name is Bowen Yang. And we just watched Explained K-Pop. It's interesting to watch this episode in light of the recent Billboard Music Awards where BTS performed. And I had never heard of BTS until I watched the Billboard Music Awards and then they were prominently featured in this episode. And... um then they showed the clips of them on Ellen and Ellen explaining like it was like the Beatles showed up here when they came through LAX. And it's like, that's LAX, you know, that's an airport that that's a, one of our airports. So there is a huge fandom here that I'm just not aware of that really isn't represented to me as a consumer. I think that's pretty cool. That yeah, they were they, on the Billboard Music Awards. Yeah, they performed uh, their new song, Fake Love. I think the buzz is, it's not what I'm saying, the buzz is that it may have potential to be song of the summer, early contender. Well, how does it go? I, I can't. Well, then why don't we hear it? Why don't we hear it? Fake love, fake love, fake love. 
I think the reason why Fake Love has so much potential in being this like big crossover hit that like breaks through is uh, just the reason why so many K-pop songs are so catchy and such earworms that the episode talks about is that the lyrics are in English every now and then. There's some like kind of random non sequitur words thrown in every now and then. It's kind of funny. It's kind of... Shut your tongue. What's that from? What, I don't know. There definitely was one that was like, close your mouth, shut your tongue. Just close your lips, shut your tongue. That's fun. I'm going to start saying that to people. Shut your tongue. Shut your tongue. Shut your tongue. I love it. See, look at that influence. There you go. K-pop influence. Uh, but for fake love, like the, lyri- the, the lyrics to the chorus are so simple. It's, I'm so sick of this fake love, fake love, fake love. I'm so sorry, but it's fake love, fake love, fake love. Like... I don't know how many words is that like seven Not many. seven words seven different words total it's just so easy so simple anyone in any country continent can can replicate that sing along and we we've had this discussion with some friends of ours that uh, there's this theory that if someone's too good a vocalist mm-hmm. it it's kind of alienating to audiences who can't sing along and match that. So what we should do worldwide sing along. is make sure that everyone's a mediocre singer mm-hmm. and there's not a lot of words. There you go. So I went into this, uh, watching this episode, with like a pretty cursory understanding of K-pop. I This is just my sort of cultural stubbornness as a Chinese person, or as a, as a person of Chinese background, because I have always grown up just through my parents' sort of discography being funneled down to me with like C-pop, technically, Chinese pop. Um, so I was just always kind of resistant to K-pop for a while. And then, and then after that, once I got into anime, it was all into J-pop. So then K-pop is this relatively new thing that like has basically been in my rotation since like 2010, we'll say. But a lot of the stuff that I learned from this episode was just all very, very new information. Yeah, it was really eye-opening to watch. In terms of my own experience with K-pop, I know of it as a phenomenon. I also have several friends, American friends, who are absolutely obsessed with it. So I know it's obsession-worthy. I don't think I understood just how influential it is worldwide. And watching it, I couldn't help but think, wow, there's just so much about the Eastern world that I do not know. So I'm excited to learn more about it because I think while watching the episode, I realized that I love K-pop and I never realized it because I so enjoy and am so enthusiastic about pop music. And it really is kind of... (laughs) the center of a lot of my walks through Midtown. Sometimes a friend will see me walking and they'll be like, what are you listening to? I'll get a text later. I'm like, oh, that's embarrassing. And it's usually like gay boy pop, which has its roots firmly in K-pop. I'm realizing. It's like with going off what you're saying, it's like the reason why you respond to that as a genre, like the trappings of K-pop include, someone described it in the documentary as this opt, it's pure optimism. Mm -hmm. There's no cynicism at all in anything that's being sung in K-pop or the presentation of it. Uh, So I think that's why it's so appealing to everybody. That was something I was really kind of interested in. Um, Just the content, the lyrical content of the music. Yeah. About how it started truly national and and celebrating, like, yeah, patriotic, um, and celebrating the country of South Korea. And then to hear that when they would get emotional or when things would get a little romantic, it was considered super edgy. That's never been the case with American music, or at least not in the past 50 years. Even when it was vanilla, it was still discussing, you know, romantic situations and even sexual situations. And so it was interesting to think about an entire 
genre of pop music or an entire subject of pop music that didn't discuss what it feels like every pop song is about here. Although I would say that they're more advanced than we are because they're able to craft a whole hook around just the concept of strawberry flavored things. Yeah, right. There's a whole song that's called Red Flavor Mm -hmm. by this amazing group, Red Velvet. This has been, I've known about, I've been listening to this song since like last summer, I want to say. It's amazing. Really? Is it a recent song? It's a recent song. It's by this one K-pop supergroup. They're called Red Velvet, and they have a their their first big song was Russian Roulette, and they there's a clip of that in the documentary. I'd like to listen to that. Okay, let's play it. My favorite part of the episode was when, you know, there were just uh, there was just this whole segment, this whole run of these infographic clips, these graphs being animated, and that is Vox's penchant, we'll say, because they do these explainer videos. They they sort of invented the explainer video in, in a way, but for this one segment, uh, they just sort of went into the songwriting process behind actually Red Velvet, and linking that to. First of all, the Swedish group that sort of wrote the hook, and then they sold it to one group. They didn't end up using it, so then they sold it again to Red Velvet uh, for the song Red Flavor. And they threw in this little tiny, tiny, tiny little accent that is an homage to ABBA. Um, where it's it's sort of, it's from Dancing Queen, where it's like um yeah uh, Friday night and the lights are low, and then it's it's sort of replicated in Red Flavor uh, in. I'm, I'm just mouthing syllables. This is all. That's true. That is all you're doing. That's all I'm doing. Um, but they just. It's like it's. It repeats. Whole, it's this whole like yeah. fun arpeggio with uh, just a bunch of instrumentals. <laughs> It's just really interesting to see that process. I love it when things sort of break down in those, when, when explainer videos sort of break it down into those terms. And I thought that was just a beautiful, beautiful visualization of all of that. I One point that sticks out to me is um, when they discussed size Gangnam Style. And uh, the fact that it was the first music video to reach a billion views that it was a shock to him as well as everyone involved. And also f- hearing that when they put that music video together, they had gone kind of further than they, than they had ever gone with music videos. And it looks like they go pretty far. <laughs> like I was watching some of those videos and I'm like, God, the choreography is insane. Like they're so talented. And to see that like this biggest effort that it seems like had been made in K-pop history also seemed to have the biggest impact and just getting a little bit of a glimpse into what it felt like to be a part of that phenomenon for them. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and it's interesting. I thought that part was interesting, too, where no one sort of saw the success of Gangnam Style. Because coming. why would you? Why would you? But but actually, the documentary touches on how the three, the big three in K-pop, they're called. It's uh, YG Entertainment, SM Entertainment, JYP Entertainment. These like monstrous factories. Well, I'm not calling them monstrous because they're sort of sinister or whatever, but they're just these giant machines. And you'd think that they sort of pump out, crank out these manufactured things like willy-nilly, but the fact that they couldn't have even sort of projected that is is very interesting. 
I'm glad that the documentary touched on that because that is sort of the little undercurrent of controversy that's surrounding K-pop nowadays is that like these young people are being placed in this these crazy contracts. Yeah, that was interesting to see that touched on as well. Thirteen and it was years. Something that I oh, thirteen year contracts. Yeah. Wow. And it was um, something that I thought of when they said that they were kind of farmed into these groups yeah. and cast in a way. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminded me of, you know, kind of, not for nothing, but all the horror stories you've heard about, you know, Lou Pearlman and the way he would put his groups together. Sure. And not necessarily the horror stories about how he'd put the groups together, but what would happen later on and, you know, the sheen of that kind of pop phenomenon, like that there's kind of a dark underbelly to it. And, um, especially in a nation where only recently are they becoming like emotionally independent, it feels like, at least in the art. Uh, you have to wonder what the dark side of that is. Well, the dark side, I mean, to me, it was very apparent. They sort of have this Jedi-like sort of forbidden, like like they're forbidden from being in relationships and mm. publicly sort of yeah. displaying affection. Uh, that just seems that that just seems a little still antiquated. That's still like the last little vestigial thing from this culture where, yeah. like, it might not be sort of outwardly expressed. They, there was also that um, moment where they were talking about how you know, as a member of a K-pop group, you're really not to answer questions about your own romantic life or ascribe to any sort of uh, lyric, particularly to yourself. Like you're performing it for the audience. Like I thought that was a very interesting line in the episode where they said, you know, as a member of a K-pop group, you are for the audience. You're not. You're almost like not for yourself or one other person. That was really interesting to me. Like that was very. We are products, and there's almost like an embracing of the fact that they're products that feels a little bit brainwashy to me. Yeah. But also, I mean, I feel like maybe there's like a little bit more of a sinister side to it, and it's even more interesting when you think about like the positivity and the um, exuberance and the sheen of the whole operation. Not that I think or know it's evil but that's something to think about especially when we when you know better when you've heard from american artists and british artists okay and if we had a k-pop group um what would it be called matt g-a-g would be fun g-a-g is fun and i think it's 35 people everyone has Jawlines of a different definition. Mm-hmm. I'm the lead singer. Matt's the lead singer. I'm the, I'm sort of like the, um, I'm the clipboard holder. That's my role. Because every 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 person in a K-pop group is assigned a specific role. I I'm the one who holds the clipboard. Yeah, you hold the clipboard. I don't and know what I'm, that means, but I I just it means that I have a clipboard with me, yeah, and I'm yeah, yeah. constantly referring to it. I'm I think what it means is you're actually um you do do some basic choreography, but you are essentially the manager. I'm a talented manager. I'm mean, I'm a manager, and I can like dance. I can do like basic b boy moves and like. At live shows, at concerts, like this, in terms of stage picture, like I'm the one who's walking around doing the choreo, but I'm like sort of um, head boy. I'm like the principal's assistant. I'm just making sure everyone's accounted for. Mm-hmm. That's my specialty. Well, I had a lot of fun watching this episode, and I'm definitely a lot more interested than I ever knew I was in K-pop. Likewise, and I genuinely can't wait to keep watching these uh, explained They're really fun. videos. They're really fun. So, thanks. Bye. Bye, and listen to Las Culturistas. Ha <laughs> ha. 
That was Matt Rogers and Bowen Yang from the pop culture podcast Las Culturistas. K-Pop Explained is on Netflix right now, and you can catch all new episodes of Explained every Wednesday on Netflix. As for You Can't Make This Up, we're back in two weeks to talk about the new Netflix original docuseries, The Staircase, which looks super creepy and super good, and it's a super big bummer that I won't be here, but someone else great will be. You can find me anytime on Today Explained. Listen on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify. All the places you can find You Can't Make This Up. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, tell your mom. You Can't Make This Up is a production of Pineapple Street Media and Netflix. Our music is by Hans Del Sue. I'm Sean Ramos from Thanks for Listening.